0: Hello family and friends, this is A.B. Lovelady, the very black male. Today for the podcast, um, we're interviewing Philip Pyle, one of the first artists I was ever introduced to um, here in the city of Houston. Around the time of this interview, I was very interested in how artists made themselves quote-unquote the artist. It's interesting how different individuals broke into the art scene, started their practice, and eventually had shows at small or large institutions, or not. Philip and I talk about some of those things, how he came to Houston, his artistic thought process, and the importance of networking at art events. This episode is sponsored by Houston Four Times and my mother, who makes an unexpected appearance in this episode. Keep listening. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, uh, I'm just going to run the clock really quick and just go straight to the go for what everybody wants to know. How did you get started in art?
2: Um, I got started in art, um, I always took photographs um, as far back as I can remember. I was one of those kids that uh, you would look at old like Christmas videos of the family and I would not be in the videos because I would be the person operating the camera and uh just from that through photography in high school um and basically having friends uh, all doing art it just became like a you know a viable solution in a way
1: when when did you start um making you know uh, meeting other friends that were also into art Was well, this-
2: friends like all my whole life yeah um greg greg carter you know gregory carter He, uh, artists, and uh, like Robert Hodge, and um, it's just all like, I've just always been around like creative folks, and uh, my medium was always like video and doing sketch comedy, and then um, I went to Los Angeles for the sketch comedy aspect of it for a while, and then uh, upon coming back to Houston, it was just like, you know, let's just try the visual art. Aspect.
1: I've got to ask you about that really quick because um, when I was doing a little research before uh, mm-hmm. the interview, I found very little about you as I know you in my head as okay. a, you know black uh, the, the black guy's uh-huh. um, collaborator, and that's really the extent. That that was my introduction to you. Right. Um, but then I found someone else who was Philip Powell the third. Not a, you. There's a Philip Powell the third. Was it you? No, that's not me. Okay, I'm because second. that person was... Oh wait, so it may be the second, I may be bugging out. Yeah. And sports narrator. Right, right, yeah. That's you?
2: Yeah, I did. I had a sports blog. I did a lot of so sports writing. I should have,
1: I kept overlooking that guy. Yeah, well, yeah. This is going to change the whole, you know, yeah, whole interview. That I was, should've. that's like
2: another, another, like, you know. <laughs> Part of your life. Another branch, another branch on the tree,
1: yeah, sports writing. I was completely overlooking this fellow because yeah. I was like, no, this can't be <laughs> This him. can't be that guy. I was, because yeah, I don't remember him yeah. ever mentioning sports. Right, right.
2: No, it was this uh, changes everything. Yeah, in in like oh nine I started a basketball blog called The Truth Sports. And uh just basically it was a way to uh just have a basketball blog. Mm-hmm. I mean I've been reading a lot of blogs and it was just like I didn't really see anything from my perspective, I guess. Sure. And so I started my own one. It enabled me to get press passes. What is your perspective? Just it was from just a more like, like a perspective of like uh, an urban perspective of, like, like seeing it in a way that doesn't, uh, like, not so judgmental, not so, like, based on, like, uh, like, judging who these players are off the court and all those kind of things, and, mm-hmm. and mainly being more like, uh, these are 18-year-old millionaires, let's give them a chance. I say like that would be like the basis and uh you know and it was just a way for me to get press passes to of course at the time Lakers games and then once I got back here to Houston it was Rockets games and then I started working with uh Space City Scoop which is a Rockets blog a part of Fansided which is owned by Sports Illustrated Mm -hmm. and so I did that for a little
1: while okay
2: yeah and so I still, you I still like, me. I still tweet about basketball. True sports Twitter is still runs. <laughs> and I still tweet about basketball from time to time.
1: Plug, yeah. So <laughs> you you converge those two things, and uh, so that you can get mason, both, mostly uh, sport passes. Yeah. And uh, explain your point of view. So when you came back to Houston, is that when um, you really started getting away from the sketch comedy and That's, more into
2: well. Upon coming back, uh, a friend of mine, his name is Maurice Duhon. That's who did the sketch comedy with me, primarily. It's
0: Maurice Duhon? Yeah. Okay.
2: We uh, we had a show called, uh, at first we had a show called Picnic on, on public access here in Houston. And then when I came back from L.A., our show was called the Edward and Allen Show. Mm. And I, we did that for like a year, upon me coming back. But Houston's not very... Uh, In terms of, like, sketch comedy and doing those kind of things, the outlets is, uh, you know, it's very few outlets. And so, you know, we did it for about a year. And at that same time, I started the whole visual arts, like, getting into the whole visual arts world.
1: So could you, uh, for, in terms of visual art, do you think that there's uh, more outlets here in Houston in the city? For visual arts? Uh,
2: Yeah. Oh, yes, by far. Than there are for... Any kind of sketch comedy, yeah. If you got, if you're doing a sketch comedy, you have to go to like the other three cities above Houston, like the Chicago, New York, L.A.
1: Okay. Those places. What year was that when you came back to Houston? Uh,
2: 2010.
1: 2010. So you've been working on uh, the visual arts. Um, yeah, this is by like this is like five years. Just five years straight. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, but you're good though. You're really good. Well, Most thanks. artists they'll go tw- you know ten years and. You know, they say, well, I'm, I feel like I'm just coming into my own.
2: Well, that's what I'm saying. It, it helps having, like, the friends who I saw, like, their uh, path and, like, their struggles. Mm-hmm. And then also having that uh, that comedy background and also, like, a real strong customer service background from another branch on the tree, which customer is service. which is working a shit ton of retail. What? Yeah, I like, no, I worked retail a whole oh, lot. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, having that customer, search, you know, it helped in being able to, like, uh, explain what it was you wanted to do. And mm-hmm. having, like, an understanding of, like, your idea and how everything would look all the way through. Can we talk about that for a moment? Okay. I want to talk
1: about um, the process um, uh, when you're going and you're approaching and you're going to make a, make a piece. Once you've decided, mm-hmm. I'm going to get off the couch, mm-hmm. I'm going to stop being lazy, and I'm going to make this thing. How does that process work for you, from conception to well, my, collaboration yeah. to...
2: i say uh, it comes from, like, an idea or some sort of inspiration. And then it's all about the execution of that inspiration. What inspires you? Uh, I'm inspired a lot by, um, uh, i say, just uh, the, the country we live in as a whole and a lot of, uh, like, mistelling of history and avoiding of history. I have a lot of inspiration in that, like uh just like right now we're, we're really getting into like talking about racism again, like this it's like a very popular thing to talk about and like, say, Black Lives Matter, but uh, you know, those, those kind of things, like it's like an ebb and flow, like you know, it'll be very very hot topic right now and then like you know come the end of this year might not be so hot anymore but it's always been interesting to me how uh you know how we can push things like you know like under the rug and just keep pushing things under this rug and then eventually you know
1: they come out okay so you you you'll you'll be looking at um um public news or whatever the case may be. And then what's the next step for you?
2: Next step would be then how would I like showcase it? Like how would I display this certain idea that I have for something. Um like I I give you an example. I've always had uh like some uh, like way I wanted to uh do art about slavery. And it's a very sensitive thing, and, you know, and it's like, you know, how would I go about doing this thing about slavery? And uh I got it's like some uh like like a light bulb of like let's make a, a slave plantation out of Legos. You know and so once I had that idea to do that then I uh talked to the curator at the time of the Houston Museum of African American Culture mm-hmm. at HMAC uh, her name was Danielle Burns. Uh, I like explained the whole idea to her. And she was cool with it, and basically they allowed me the ability to make a slave plantation out of Legos. Was that
1: one of your first exhibits?
2: That was like in a hand, like one of the first ones. Yeah, that was that, that was my first solo, probably my first like solo exhibition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It was called Caroline Plantation. How did that
1: How did that negotiation go? How did that talk go? How did you even know who to go to? The, uh, well,
2: what happened was at the time, the at the time I was at Project Row Houses, and um, they were doing Project Row House had this like like sit down and like talk to a curator and like show him your portfolio and that sort of thing. And so Danielle was the person that I sat down and talked to, and we went through like all of the different stuff I had been working on, and then I showed her the like told her about the idea for the plantation. And then she just thought that was a great idea. And so then we went from there to, like, uh, like the whole planning and how it would look and actually doing the exhibition.
1: So it was a bit of an incubator uh, for artists and uh, yeah. arts executives.
2: Right, right. And it, that's one of those, like, rarities where you get that kind of opportunity to, like, actually, like, an organization, like, picks you or you have that you know opportunity to actually sit down with somebody cuz you know it, it's not very often that
1: you get to get put in that kind of situation how important was that relationship and how did how was like that dynamic you know because this is your first show and i'm yeah. sure she'd been i don't i don't know her curatorial history but i'm sure she'd been doing it for a bit
2: Yeah yeah now she works at the uh, Gregory School Yeah and so uh like, like that relationship has allowed me to be able to recently we had a group show at Gregory School i was in that show but um yeah yeah it's just like all those kind of relationships but that's the thing too with like the Houston uh like black artist community it's very small it's not like a huge community of people and so it's not that many people that you have to meet but then the thing comes that like when you want to go outside of the black art community you know you have to make you have to like start making friends or knowing some white folks and then it's always you know then, then comes that that next step of of like going outside of your comfort zone. Maybe
1: have you had to do that? Oh yeah, of course. Like, uh, could I mean, you explain what shows that was for, and maybe even just like how you approached it?
2: Well, like, well, before the Black Guys show at our league, I was in a group show uh, that was curated by Robert Pruitt. Sure. That was called Stacks, and it was myself, Autumn Knight, Jamal Cyrus, Makina Tapscott, and Nathaniel Donay, and we did like a group show at Art League. And in the way it gave me an, it gave me the uh, kind of like a, just like the blueprint of how you propose a show and then how you would lay out the whole show and get an organization to be behind it and how it all would work. And um, we all, basically we did a group, during the opening we did like a group performance where we uh, put all of these like black tropes and stereotypes in a wood chipper and inside the gallery and then from there each person did an individual show and seeing how at that time i was like kind of like the rookie to nathaniel and jamal they i went first i was like the first person to uh do a show and at that time i was working lost prevention at walmart and so i named my show black friday because that was like a you know a walmart (laughs) a big day at Walmart Black Friday Walmart
0: apocalypse yeah exactly
2: and so (laughs) and uh, you know I um, you know it was just like a big learning process that whole thing
1: and so how was that how was that negotiating like your time between working working at Walmart because you know you're like I'm still working yeah but I I got I say it like this you know since the arts community is so (laughs) small it's you know, you can say, I've got all this going on over here. Mm-hmm. These This many people know me, but I've still got my, you know, my basic job.
2: Right, know? right. Well, no, yeah, that basic job at the time, and, you know, it was paying more than than the art world was because what you get from the honorarium or a stipend still doesn't compare to, uh, like, you know, like a couple months of, like, actually working a job job. Mm-hmm. You know, your only hope is, like, that you sell... Anything, any of your pieces, and um, you know that's a that's a definitely a hard thing to do, and you don't and you don't try to put all your eggs in that basket of oh I'm gonna sell all of this stuff, you know because you never know, especially if it's something, especially not only if you're like a new artist, but if it's not uh, if it's not like visually uh, accepting to a person that would spend a thousand dollars on an art piece, you know. It's like um, it has to like you know it has to it has to turn them
1: on. It has someone, like- someone. I was having a conversation with a friend not too long ago mm-hmm. about the black artists in Houston. He's a black man, you know, mm-hmm. and but he was telling me, you know, I just think their work is too hyper politicized, and I wouldn't want it. Right,
2: right. And I
1: said to him, yeah, you know, well, it's coming from their point of view, you know, right. everyone. From whatever religion or culture has the opportunity to make whatever type of art they want to, you can't regulate that. Right. What do you think about some when someone says something like you
2: know, and I would say too, it's just like there is a a common theme always that uh like as a black artist, you aren't allowed to just be abstract, you know, and like you're not allowed to just like take a canvas, paint a red dot on it, and be like, "That's it, that's my piece." You know, and it can have like whatever meaning you want to to it. People come in, they'll see it, and they'll be like, you know, who did this? They wouldn't think that a black artist did that red dot one. It's like, you know, it's like some sort of, uh, like, idea, theme that every black artist has to do something that revolves around like the black community, and all of the, of the sadness that comes from black community, or all of the happiness that comes from it. And like we're supposed to stay inside of that little bubble, and whenever we go outside of that bubble, you know, it's just you know it's like a comfort zone. It's 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 to each own artist to make that decision if he wants to stay in that comfort zone or if he wants to go outside that comfort zone you know you don't necessarily have to you can stay inside the comfort zone and do just fine but if you go outside of it you know it's its its own
1: it's its own battles sure uh, I don't want to get too far off mm-hmm. the cuff but I do want to ask uh, a little bit more about um, presenting you know the proposals mm-hmm. to the museums and how that process kind of went and how you refined your message and figured out all right, what ideas are we trying to explain with yeah. the show and then how did you get that into the hands of whoever was the important person?
2: Well, most of the time uh, different uh, arts organizations will have like an open proposal time, like when they say that they're accepting proposals. And the format for it is always pretty much the same with each organization. It's it's like, you know, explain what you want to do, explain how it's going to look, and then give like your history. Like, you know, like why, why do you think you could do this? and why would we want to show you? And it's just basically following that format with each organization that are accepting them. Now, if they're not accepting proposals, then it turns into a, you know, who do you know type scenario. Like knowing that person that runs that organization or knowing uh, you know, a person that works at that organization, which comes from you having to go to that organization during someone else's show, or just in general, and just, like, you know, getting
1: known. Do you think it's possible to be a uh, well-known artist without rubbing elbows like that?
2: Um, no, no, you're going to have to rub some elbows. To be well-known, yeah, you're going to have to rub some elbows, because it's just, like... uh, Elbows will be rubbed. Yeah, 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 yes, because it's, um, it's it, it just, like, comes with the territory, it's, like, you... You benefit that person by having your ex, like putting your art in their building. They benefit from that, and if they don't know you or don't feel like they're going to benefit from it, then they won't do it. And so, you have to like give them some sort of incentive to be like, you know,
1: you want to do this. So, what is your? Um, I'm gonna go back. I'm jumping around a bit, but mm-hmm. I want to ask back about your process. You said, you know, the idea comes. And then, you know, you kind of pitch the idea. Do you ever, when you make that do you have your own studio? Uh,
2: Your mom is up
1: here looking you. Just tell her say, to leave it. She you. Yeah, I know what it is, it's just the helmet. I have My phone's off. She's bringing my helmet and my... I don't know where, why she brought it here, though. I really don't understand. How am I going to... Okay, I'll be right back. <laughs> all right, sure. all right, go. I kind of asked her what
0: All right, friends and family, this is the end, the technical end of part one of our interview with Philip Powell. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Part two is going to be very interesting. We discuss some of his productivity tricks and tools, as well as how to price and value your work. Now, there's a little bit of space left here at the end of the podcast, because there's an appearance from the mother, Miss Lovelady, Sandra Lovelady, and, um... It just goes on to show you how black mothers were the real originators of Black Lives Matter. Take care.
1: A bit random, but uh, uh, Mom, uh, this is Philip Philip Powell. How are you? you? Let me have that helmet so you can get the better one, please. A safe one. That one's actually pretty safe. Give me the helmet. You know how many bikers I know? Listen, all right, we're doing this. Do you want your under um, better? can you sleep it at the front? Yeah. The helmet, leave the helmet, that's not the jacket.
2: Okay, boss.
1: That's all you need. That's all I need. And yeah, always, but you can take that to Fox's house if you want. I still, I'm gonna use the helmet regardless. What is this, but here someone tells her I'm running around. Motorcycle
2: with a bike helmet, oh. and it becomes a whole thing. Oh yeah! Oh no! Hell yeah, oh, no! You, Jeez, you know geez, that's man. gonna become. A, okay. <laughs> nah, nah, she gonna bring you that helmet. That's a bit of a random. That's yeah, never nah. happened. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh nah. no! Mom's ain't gonna let their son <laughs> ride around on a motorcycle without proper headgear. Oh no. Okay, so. Black uh, lives
1: matter. Black lives matter. <laughs> that's that was interesting. So what was I?
0: And that is the end. There will be more to come. Part two is coming very soon. Thank you to the Houston Ford Times newspaper, the largest black-owned newspaper in the South, for letting us use their facilities to conduct this interview. And thank you to my mother for always encouraging me to wear that helmet because it saved my life just a few months later. Take care.